I have been taking time to speak on We the People, uh, the value, the beauty, and the context of the con our Constitution, and how much it rests on us as believers, and as George Whitfield preached for 30 years preceding that Constitution, he created the seed belt, belt, uh, bed with this um, simple, powerful salvation message that Jesus can be Lord, and in that you can be free from being under in any oppressive way any man any person, and people responded with such zeal to his messages that they would crowd 20 and 30,000 people in a meeting, um, in outdoor meetings. They just couldn't even have things inside. They, they had them all over. And it created such a phenomena like of, of um, a passion and zeal, an awakening, it was awakening. And so when this constitution was created, it was created to rest upon a people that had virtue, a people that had faith, a people that had freedom. It was made to rest on that. It was not designed for the ungodly, the unrighteous, or the unrestrained to rule. And you see in our present situation, too many of them have gotten into positions of power. They're wreaking havoc. And what is the biggest thing they are not doing they are not following the Constitution. They are not following the rule of law from, from the top down. They're, they have broken, uh, broken ranks with our Constitution, with the laws of our land. That's what we're observing and the injustices that are all around us. There is uh, tremendous hope. The president, the real president, it's going to come back on the scene sometime here in the near future. Meanwhile, there's an amazing test going on to see what we're made of and if we will stand up or if we will just comply with all the, all the things that are going on. And there is a cry going out right now for patriots, people that are, love, our, love God, love the country, love our nation, to stand up, to rise up, and to push back against things that are unconstitutional. And we're, right now we're surrounded with them. These mandates and these impositions that are not law, that are coming from a lying, filthy lying CDC organization that is not to ever set law, they're just to set standards. And so we cannot bow to that. We need to question it, we need to challenge it. Uh, we went through a fake pandemic. Yes, there was a virus that came from China. And this first wave of it, a group of you got it. And you were very sick, like you were really sick when it first came. And now this talk about a variant. Do you understand that any time you've ever gotten the flu, except maybe these first people that got COVID, you got a variant of that, of that um, virus? It's always changing. They're always changing. It's the nature of a virus. It can change up to every three months. It changes. It, it mutates constantly. I learned that years and years ago at a seminar about this. They're always changing. So this threat of, of a 
a variance of the Delta variant of the, there's a new one now. There, it is only to scare the heaven out of us. That's all it is. It's, it's always a variant. I eventually, I think I got COVID, but there's no valid test for it. I just want to make that clear. That PCR test is an absolute joke. They created a whole pandemic on that test that is totally false and faulty. Anything that gives out up to 60% false positives is invalid in my opinion. That's wrong. Today, this gripes me. Chris Brothers is going to, has to go a day early to Cleveland Hospital. Then he has to leave. And then he has to check back in later today. And he's going there to get a COVID test. Test that is not trustworthy in any way, shape, or form. And the results of which he will not, will not come in until he has left the hospital. And the procedure's over. Several days down the road. Why is that? Because even our medical community, now there are some, there's some good, but I'm telling you, I'm making a stand. They are complicit in a lot of these things and we need to challenge, even our, even our doctors and hospitals. What happens if they get a positive reading on that? A false, doesn't matter, no one verifies it because this test was never designed to test COVID. It never was. The creator of it said it wasn't designed for this. He suicided himself later. He's dead because he spoke out against us. This test was not designed to distinguish COVID. And this test does not distinguish between influenza A, influenza B, or COVID. As you noticed, the normal flu went away through this crisis. And deaths by motorcycle accidents went away with this virus. So we need to stand up and push back. We need to rise up. We need to awaken we are fighting for something greater than ourselves. And I've been incorporating, like, we cannot check out from our country and our nation right now. It was designed for us, and it was designed to rest on our shoulders, and it was designed for a greater purpose than us, to further the kingdom. That is why our country started. The, um, the original pilgrims, they wrote, this was written, we verily believe and trust the Lord is with us, they wrote, and that he will graciously prosper our endeavors according to the simplicity of our hearts therein. So herein, so they, when they came here, they came with a prayer that the Lord would bless them and be with them. In 1620, they came up with an, a legal agreement that has been then 100 years later was called the Mayflower Compact. And so John Quincy Adams said this about the Mayflower Con Compact. The only instance, it says this agreement is the only instance in all of human history up to that point of that positive original social compact. It was something unique to itself. And it was the agreement they came in while they're waiting on an amendment to come because they decided to settle a different place. So they reached out to Britain to give them a... Uh, um, there was a term, there's a legal term for what they were waiting on, on a, I don't see it right here, to obtain, but it was to obtain the, the permission, and it was a patent. They needed a patent from Britain. Let me read the Mayflower Compact again. This is so far removed from us, and it's so inspiring to read. In the name of God, 
We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, G Lord King James, by the greater of by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, France, and Ireland, king, defender of the faith. So they weren't in rebellion. They were wanting this covering from Britain as they were establishing this new colony. It's very important to understand. We eventually revolted in, in 1776, yes, but that was not the original intention. The original intention was just to find a place where they could freely worship. Having undertaken... For the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith. That's what, that's what we're standing on. That is what is in the fabric. That is what is in, this, in the foundation of our nation. For the further advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and God... Uh, king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and of one another covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. And by virtue thereof to an act constitute and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitution, and offices from time to time, so shall as shall we be thought most meet or most appropriate and convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. And all of this was for the furtherance of the kingdom or a place to freely worship and the furtherance of the kingdom. And last week, I, um, let me find, um, I read from um, this, uh, the visitation that George Washington had from this angel. Um, and the summary of the third war that the third thing that would come and challenge the new republic we believe we're living in now and in summary he says the angel says it was it was i believe it, it appeared as a woman to uh, to him son of the republic what you have seen is thus interpreted three great perils will come upon the republic the most fate fearful is the third, but in the greatest conflict of the whole, the whole world united shall not prevail against her. Let every child of the republic learn to live for his God, his land, and the unit, union. What a, what a noble reason to live for because our country's standing affects the whole world. It, we are not unto ourselves. This very, what we do and what we're standing for affects the freedom and the liberty of the entire world. And there is a greater thing. It's this furtherance of the gospel. There is still the promise of a billion soul harvest from the prophets and, the, and preachers. That hasn't come yet. There, we're, that still has to come. Someone literally came to my house this week that doesn't go to our church. I need to talk. I need to ask you one question. Should I take the COVID shot? I said, absolutely not. I'm totally against it. Everything I hear about it is bad. I don't hear anything good. I said, do not take it. 
He said, is this the end times? I said, it will look like this, but I don't believe this is the end. I believe in that coming, but this is not it. We have things to do. We have work to do. We have fulfillment to, come, to do. And our president is coming back. And the more we, we look and research, like, I know he's coming back. Meanwhile, I want to preach with a greater passion and conviction than I ever, than I have before. Um, because there's so much at stake. And I know that it is this that, tr that prepares us the most for what is to come. That prepares us the most for the moment we're in. We must get strong. We must, yes, Kurt, like shaking, like that prophecy that I just read from uh, Barry, Barry once, like there's a shaking coming. And don't, don't think it's the enemy. It's like it's the Lord shaking because we have got to get stable. We've got to get strong. We've compromised too much. We've gone a lot. We've complied to too much. And because we've complied with so much, we comply so it ends. But because we comply, it will never end. You must start pushing back in a righteous way. In a, in a, in a way that, that is, and, and quote the Constitution, these are your rights. There's never been a nation that had a we the people to stand on. And never been a nation where there's a destiny we have to fulfill. We must fulfill this destiny. That destiny is not fulfilled. I'll fight for that destiny. I'll push back for the sake of that destiny. I'll come with fire for the sake of that destiny. I will not comply. I will not go along. I will not allow us to be controlled and manipulated and, and railroaded by people that don't love God and don't know God. I refuse. Like, no. Uh, I'll give you, I think you should have the freedom to be here and to exercise faith in the way you, but you will not stop me from exercising my faith. That's when, I, when the pushback comes. You will not tell me what I can believe, what, I can, what my standards are, what my morals are. You won't do that. And how I raise my children and how I conduct my household and how I treat my neighbors. You will not do that. You not impose things on me. You're welcome here, but you're not, don't control me. Don't, don't control because I stand under the protection of a constitution that, that, has a, that is written amazingly. Colossians chapter, the end of chapter one, amazing. We were just in the same place this morning, Phyllis and I. She was talking to me about this, and I just looked down, I just started reading, you know, like this verse, you know, and it was cool. And um, back to the end of Colossians in chapter, chapter one, verses 28, 29. Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts. And isn't that the issue right now, to be awakened to, to wait, awaken from sleep, to pay attention to what's going on. And the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel is at stake. And bring every person into the full understanding of the truth. And that's, all I'm, that's what I'm standing on. That's what I want to get back to. That's what I'm contending for. Let's get truth back into this thing. It has become my inspiration and passion in ministry to labor with a tire, tireless intensity with his power flowing through me to present to every believer the revelation of being his perfect one in Jesus Christ. 
I wish you could know how much I have struggled for you and for the church in Laodicea and for the many others I've yet to meet. I am contending for you that your hearts will be wrapped in the comfort of heaven and woven together into love's fabric. And that is true of me and my heart. I am contending for you that you will know Christ, that you'll be fully awake. I'm contending for that. I want to say strongly, it's not good enough to have the T-shirt. You've got to have the thing in here. You can wear any T-shirt, yeah? But what's in here is what's on the T-shirt in, in here. The real, the real, and this comes by revelation, by awakening, and us calming, getting to the place where we cry out to heaven, Awaken me, enlighten me, people. Until we are enlightened, until the Spirit drops in our in our hearts, we don't know. I shared with you this one of the story, one of the many stories of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as he before he even realized what he was carrying, he prays for a man, a man that's in prison, and a woman who's ready to commit suicide because she can't feed her children. It's a bad situation. That's a hopeless situation. Whitfield, did I say it again wrong? I always say it. Oh, yes, that's, this, was, this was a Whitfield story. I'm sorry, not a Bonhoeffer story. You know, when Jay sacks a certain way, we go, he's three. And so when I do these things, I'm 66. Okay. I'm 66. And in praying for them and reading John 3.16, this woman who tried to commit suicide, she was rescued out of the river by somebody else. She gets it. He doesn't even get it. Like, why are you acting out? Where's this? What's this passion? What's this? I believe, I believe. She understands the simple gospel, and then her husband gets it. And he's just watching them like, good preacher, Calm down, take her easy, you know, like you're, you're getting excited. Like because they grabbed a hold of a re that revelation. We all need revelation at every, we continually need revelation. That's what changes us. Don't try to keep up with somebody. Don't try to even get what somebody has. You need your own revelation. You need to sit with the scripture, with the Lord and pray. And, and he needs to reveal we can, we can preach till we're blue in the face, but we can't change people. You can lecture people and lead, try to lead them to Jesus and lecture people, do all the things we do, all for good reasons, of course. We can threaten people. You wouldn't. Till it comes to your kids or something like, yeah, we go, we go there sometimes. But what does it take? It takes the spirit dropping into our heart for this awakening to come. I contend for you to awaken the comfort of heaven the woven will be woven together into love's fabric. This will give you access to all the riches of God as you experience the revelation of God's great mystery, Christ. For our spiritual wealth is in him, like hidden treasure waiting to be discovered. Heaven's wisdom and endless riches of revelation knowledge.
I want you to know this so that no one will come and lead you into error through their persuasive arguments and clever words. Even though I'm separated from you geographically, my spirit is present there with you. And I'm overjoyed to see how disciplined and deeply committed you are because you are such a salt, you have such a solid faith in Christ, the anointed one. And of course, this is about Christ in you, the perfect one. Christ being his perfect one in Christ Jesus. In verse 6, he continues, In the same way you receive Jesus our Lord and Messiah by faith, continue your journey by faith, progressing further into your, into your union with him. So at every point that you're struggling, you're conflicted, it's normal. We're at war so if you're having a conflicted day, a bad day, you feel you're up against it, don't waste time being condemned about how you feel. Understand you're in a war and don't allow that to cause you to back up. When we sing this song, I raise a hallelujah. It's like, it's so powerful to raise a song. Sing a song in your situation. When no one start to sing, it, it changes the atmosphere. It pushes back. You feel, for whatever reason, we feel at times hopeless, discouraged. We're upset. We're, we have feelings. Push through. Push past the feelings. Don't let the feelings dictate to you. Go after the truth and go after the Lord in it. And in that conflict, you'll get revelation that you wouldn't get otherwise. It, let it press you into the one. Don't let it press you into the corner or press you into bad counsel or press you over back to your bad habits because that's where it wants to push you. There's a force pushing on you. It wants to get you anywhere but on track. And they, these things, they push, they affect us. Don't feel bad about the conflict. We're at war. But we have the victory already. We have, the, we have a promise of overcoming. If you will just stand, hold the line. If you'll stand, you'll push back, that you'll seek truth, that you'll ask the Lord to show you the truth. Show me the truth. In verse 7, your spiritual roots go deeply into his life as you continually infuse with strength, encouraged in every way. For you are established in the faith you have absorbed and enriched by your devotion to him. Beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're filled with endless arguments of human logic. For they cooperate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not the anointed truths of the anointed one. For he is the complete fullness of the deity living in human form, and our own completeness is now found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. Through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of heart. All of the guilt and power of sin have been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. 
What good news. Think on these things. Think on these words. Ponder these things. For we've been buried with him into his death. Our baptism into our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power. The power that raised him from death's realm, the realm of death describes our former state for we were held in sin's grasp. But now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death. Put that over your doorpost. We've been resurrected out of that realm of death. If it shows up again in your household, cast it out and get the plaque back up there. Resurrected. I'm, I live, we've been resurrected from that realm of death. Resurrected, never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all, all our sins. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. What a tragedy when we spend so much time living in condemnation. What a, tra what a waste of time when we're overwrought with making mistakes and, and, and getting things wrong that half the time don't matter. I didn't do enough. I didn't do this. I did. Having, even trying to do the right thing, that feeling, it will, it will come on you. It will stay on you if you allow it. We have to cast that off and live in this. He erased it all, our sins, our, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. And then this verse that Phyllis read earlier in verse 15. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. They were his prisoner. The notes Brian Simmons wrote is so good about that on that verse. The Aramaic text has a phrase that is not found in the Greek manuscripts. The Aramaic can be translated, having put off his body. He stripped principalities and powers and shamed them openly. This implies that between the day of crucifixion and the day of resurrection, while in the spirit realm, Jesus destroyed death. The powers of darkness and every work of the enemy through the blood of the, his cross. So in that interim of him dying on the cross, and in being resurrected, stuff was happening. In that, he did, we need to get a real picture, a revelation. What did he do in that? In that time, what did he do? What did he accomplish? All the enemy's weapons have been stripped away from him, and now the church has authority in Christ to enforce this triumph upon the dethroned rulers of this world. 
However, an alternate translation of the Aramaic could be, be after, sending, after, after sending out his body, in parentheses, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, believers, they enforced his triumph to all the thrones and authorities, putting them all to public shame by the manifestation of himself in them. So this gets back to what we accomplish by believing this, what we are carrying out what he conquered and what he accomplished. Why is it still here for us to contend with? So that we will apply that victory to, the, to what is here, to what we have to deal with, that we will stand in this finished work of Jesus, not in our own strength, not in our own goodness, not in our own righteousness, but in his and what he accomplished for us. I was listening to Robin Bullock uh, share with um, Steve Schultz on Elijah Streams, and uh, he was going back over covenant stuff. I've listened to some of his things. He's so... He said, I love, you know, when people, whoever it is, they start talking about what covenant really was and getting up. We're so, we always say that we're so distanced from the reality of covenant and what it was implied that it's hard for us to connect with that. And he goes back through this. You've probably heard it before, but it's so good to refresh what it meant to make covenant and what happened after you made covenant with someone? Our American culture almost erases the reality of covenant. It, it is so minimalized and it almost doesn't exist. It almost doesn't exist. We're, we're, so, uh, we're so far removed from it. We make contracts, we break contracts. We, we're, we're just so easily in and out of things. But a real true covenant wasn't like that. And when you made covenant with someone, you, you protected them and they protected you. And he tells the story of uh, Stanley. What was Stanley's first name? I forget. Dr. Stanley. We'll call him Dr. Stanley. Goes in search of Dr. Livingston, who was a, who was a missionary in Africa. And he was so deep in, he had to be found. And there was some reason they were going to find Dr. Livingston. And so he goes on a safari, uh, Dr. Stanley does. And uh, he can't understand why he can't get any cooperation from the local people there in Africa to help him find Dr. Livingston to get into the interior. And his guide finally tells him, listen, you're not going to get anywhere until you make covenant with one of these tribesmen, with one of these tribal, tribal leaders. You're, you're, you're going to, they're going to, yeah, they're going to keep you away. They're not going to cooperate with you. They might even eat you. I mean, you know, like, you're not in a good place. Don't try this at home type of thing, you know. He goes, okay, well, how do, how do I make covenant with them? He goes, well, I'll help you. So they find this chief, and they begin the process of making covenant. And I forget the details of this one, but often you would cut your palm. I would cut my palm. The blood would be mixed either by dropping it in wine and you would drink it together. There were different, there are different methods in different cultures of how to do this, but there is almost always the cutting. They're always cutting. In the, in the uh, covenant that God made with Abraham, 
well, there was cutting. Like, we, we, like, why do you cut animals and walk through them? Like, again, to our normal American culturized mind, that's just stupid. Like, why would you do that? Yuck. Ah, you know, that's horrible. But, that, but, but, we, but we don't understand what it means. And so there's always cutting and there's this cutting. And, and then there's the transference, the exchange of a gift. And, and in this story, after, the, after they, they uh, I think the, um, the, the um, guide did this, he could do it in proxy. He did it for Dr. Stanley. And then it came to the part where the chief gives Dr. Stanley his staff, a funny-looking staff. And then the guide looks at Dr. Stanley and says, now you need to give him something. He goes, what am I going to give him? I don't have anything to give him. He goes, he wants your goat. Well, the goat was important because he had stomach problems and he needed to drink the goat milk, so you took a live goat with you. Can you imagine traveling with a goat? Okay. Anyways, it was important to him. It was his medicine because he had some very serious ulcers or something, and he had to have goat milk, so he kept the goat with him as they traveled. He goes, no, I'm not giving him my goat. He's like... Oh, you will give him your goat. You're too far into this. <laughs> He'll kill you. Like, you've got to finish this out now that it started. Reluctantly, Dr. Stanley gives him his goat. And in exchange, he has the staff. Evidently, that is where the saying comes from, he's got my goat, or I got your goat. You know, like there's, it was something precious to him. It gets, you know, yeah, anyways. Then when Dr. Stanley starts to travel from that point on, people bow down to him. They almost worship him because of the staff that he's carrying because everyone fears this chief that he made covenant with. In the same likeness, when you make covenant with Jesus and you're under his blood, like that tribesman, all of his people then stand behind him and you're making covenant with all of them and with Jesus. And then anytime you want to acknowledge that you're in covenant, you hold up your hand and expose the scar. So when we come and we worship and we lift up through faith the scar the covenant that we've entered into with Jesus, we enter into, oh, we, we're, we really got off easy. All we have to do is repent and believe, like, believe in Jesus. Okay, you're in, like, wow. Whew. Glad I didn't have to go through a circumcision. Glad I didn't have to go through a cutting. Like, you know, I'm not that fond of all that stuff. But when that, we raise our hands. Robin Bullock was so illustrative about this. And, it's not in scripture, but it was a beautiful picture. He said, when you do that, Jesus seated at the right hand. He, he, re, he looks down over and sees and shows his hand back to you, his nail-pierced hands. Our simplest worship and acts of worship, Jesus responds to it because they're covenant. We need a greater revelation. Pray 
for the Lord to open your eyes. You go, oh, yeah, I've I've got the T-shirt. Forget about the T-shirt. We need it deep in us so that whatever we come up against, we turn it, we turn it into pressing closer to him, and we tap into the provision because the covenant's been made for us. Don't deserve this. We get so caught up in what we deserve, or, uh, you know, we allow things to separate us. We need to be the people that can run really fastly, fast, quickly to the Lord. And to, and to tap into what he has for us unashamedly. My grandson has no shame asking. Even if I can't understand him, he's adamant to make me understand what he's asking. He does not have condemnation about that. He does not hold back. He comes and finds me. He grabs me. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. You come. You come here, Papa. I need you here. Help me with this. Get this for me. Do this. Do that. We need to develop that childlike going to the Lord for things. He will provide. He will give us. He will give give what we need. We We can trust in him. And our entire nation needs us to be this people. Barry Wunsch, that prophecy, he's like, and somebody else that I was reading, uh, Johnny Enlow. It was a text from Johnny Enlow. We need to humble ourselves for what's coming because not only are our political leaders getting exposed for horrible criminal acts, leaders in the church are going to get exposed too, and it's, it's going to be a hard thing to go through. I'm not looking for them. I think it's going to come out in criminal indictments. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. It's not our job to go find them. These are serious things, and we'll be like, oh, my God. We were supposed to be the answer. When we become part of the problem, well, Jesus said it. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, What good is that? You, you're the light of the world. Do you hear what he said to us? Of the world, not just the church building. You're the light of the world. Don't put a bushel basket over it and keep it in the walls. We're we're the light of the world. World. (laughs) Yeah, like the world. What's wrong with us? We're so busy trying to get everybody into our little context of of what this looks like. Just be salt. Just be light. Let your neighbors be glad they live beside you because you've got their back. Let other drivers be glad that you're the other person on the road because you're gracious when they make a mistake. I know you are. Let the people that interact with you are like, wow, I love doing business with you because you kept your word. Because there's, there's something between us. We, we had an exchange of something and now we have a, a connection. Salt of the earth, light of the world. Don't back down. Don't hide it. 
come out. Just, just be. Make a stand. Look for the truth. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. That's all. Find the truth. Speak the truth. Look for the truth. And be willing to pay the price to speak that truth. We've got to love Jesus more than we love being socially accepted. Right now, I'm thinking that's one of our biggest enemies is being liked. We've got to get free from it. Make sure you love and then make sure that it's more important to please Jesus than it is to be liked or acceptable. We need freed. It could be part of what's going on right now. I'm very aware we're so connected about what, how people think and how we act. And even when you say you're not, yeah, take the test. You'll be like, oh, oh, gosh. Freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. It wasn't so you could be bound to something else. It was for freedom that he set you free. And in that freedom, don't make, take opportunity to sin. Take opportunity to demonstrate his goodness and kindness. That's what we're here about. We're here to be a blessing. We're here to uphold this nation. We're here to uphold us as a people. It, this is about, li- we really need to start living for something greater than ourselves. Honestly, really. And that's joyful. It's not that wonderful serving yourself and being, and being a slave to yourself. It's really not. Those are the most miserable people. I've seen very famous celebrity type peoples, people that have everything, the beauty, the attraction, they have all the stuff, all the things, and they are miserable because that doesn't satisfy What satisfies is being able to lay down your life in a way that is under the Lord and serving something greater than yourself. That's real joy. Pressing through the hard things, going, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do and I know Jesus will be pleased. That's become one of my biggest prayers. Jesus, I want to please you in what I say. I want to please you in how I conduct myself. I want to please you in the decisions that I make. I want to please you in my coming and please you in my going. And that's really all that matters. And if I accomplish that, and you have to keep going back to that because there'll be things that other, other tests that come in, hey, you failed. Like, did you? Are you sure? Many people come to us like, oh, I made so. Like, are you sure you made a mess of that? Are you sure? Just because it didn't go well or just because someone didn't like you or like what you said or like doesn't mean it was wrong. Let's, let's look at this. Let's examine this. Be all that you can be for him. Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers. Maybe in eternity we'll see the depth and the height and the breadth and the width of that. But he did do it. He accomplished it for us. And that is our inheritance, and he wants us to walk in that authority for his name's sake and take that where we go. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name for your calling, your choosing us, and most of all, awaken us. Awaken us in areas where we're compromising. Awaken us in areas where we're not, we're not all that we, we need to be. 
I believe an awakening is coming. I believe a great revival is coming. I believe that many are coming to you, Lord Jesus. I want to be a part of the solution. I want to be a part of the net. I don't want to be on the sidelines watching because I'm too caught up in other things. When that moment comes and as we approach those days, I want to be free to jump in and be a part of that. So make us ready, make us available, cause us to be healthy and prosperous for the sake of what our forefathers came. From the, from the days of this uh, Mayflower Compact that they signed, for the purpose, the glory of God to further the kingdom, for that purpose, for that greater purpose. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be alive. Amen. Amen.